see on Twitter or different places, you, you know, some article, BuzzFeed or otherwise, where there's like a whole bunch of stats, you know, or interesting fun fact. So I've got a couple of them here and uh, I want to get your take. Okay. First one, the average American, how many pounds of trash do they generate each day? Hmm. I was going to say a pound. Is it more than a pound? Yes. How much? Four and a half pounds of trash each day. Jeez. That just seems like a lot. Also, speaking of average Americans, how many pounds of ice cream per year consumed? So with the four and a half pounds of daily trash, I mean, that must mean we're like eating a a whole ton of ice cream. Thirteen. Thirteen pounds. In rounding out, over the past century, the most popular male name. If you would limit that survey and just do a poll on the number of people that we've interviewed over the show over the last six years, by far it would be the name Chris. Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to Touchpoint. Welcome to episode number 265. Reed Smith, that is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed, I'm just over here throwing stuff in the trash because apparently I am way under count for yeah, the average gotta catch American. Up. Got to catch up on the day. Four and a half pounds. Thanks for joining us. We certainly appreciate you tuning in. Appreciate you coming back for another week. If you're new, welcome. I want to point out the website, touchpoint.health. When you have a second, you can navigate over there and find out more about the episode you're listening to, the show you're listening to, the show hosts you're listening to, co-hosts you're listening to. Uh, and everybody else is on the network, other shows and topics and uh, all kinds of fun stuff. While you're there, you'll notice up in the top navigation something called the TPS report. If you'll click on that and uh, be kind enough to pass your email address our way, you will start receiving a weekly email each Monday. All it's going to have in there are a few links to some content to help you start your week. So that's it. Uh, we're not going to use it. We're not going to try to sell you anything. I'd love it if you connected with us there and on LinkedIn, Twitter, all those kinds of fun places. So we'll pause for just one second. We'll be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is, and Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews, and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand, they demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you.
looking back at all the episodes that we've done, Reed, there are occasionally we talk about things that are more high level, more strategic, maybe less tangible. And then there are other episodes where we go kind of deep into a technical conversation. Mm-hmm. And I have to think that today's episode is going to side a little bit more on the technical aspects. Yeah. I mean, SEO obviously is something that's there in front of us every day, certainly as we, you and I, as we look at our brick and mortar locations, our physicians, you know, things like that as it relates to how they show up online. A lot of times that is initially through the lens of a search result. Search results are very important to us. So if we do our jobs right, we can leverage search engines to optimize our web presences. Over the years, we've talked about SEO occasionally. We've also at times mentioned this concept of zero-click searches. Do you remember Do you remember that concept? Yes. There are searches that require zero clicks. (laughs) In a nutshell. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. And part of that is because now when you do searching on search engines, you type in whatever key terms and Google is starting to surface things all around that. You know, they're putting up maps, they're putting in maybe Wikipedia pages, depending on what you're searching for or other things to make it much more meaningful and robust for people to get information. Yeah, they don't really want you to leave that search result page. So they started obviously with like the knowledge card kind of over there on the right and they added in content. And again, like you just mentioned that, you know, there's all kinds of uh, logistical things there, phone numbers, maps, addresses, you know, stuff like that pictures, uh, but then they started adding even more definitional content, Q&A, things like that. They're pulling information off of websites and kind of noting them in these kind of dynamic results. And so again, all based on this idea that, you know, quickly, easily, only using Google, you're finding the answer that you're looking for. That's exactly right. But I think... Not to be too controversial, this concept of zero-click search, there's a little bit of a myth behind it. And we're going to get into that a little later into our show here today. But before we get there, I think it's important to kind of ground ourselves around SEO and more specifically local SEO. You and I work for different types of health systems that physically are actually very much different. And our SEO strategies are slightly different because of that. Yeah, I mean, obviously with SEO, the geography of it, the physical footprint, like you mentioned, plays into that. You know, we're we're wanting people looking for information to find us. Well, the people looking for information about Ardent, about Ardent Health Services, where I work, there's really not that many people looking for Ardent proper, right? It's like one of our hospitals or local markets, you know, which have some different brands and they're scattered all over the country, you know, through Texas and New Mexico and Oklahoma and even up into New Jersey and Idaho, Kansas, et cetera. I have to think about each of those as their own instance, if you will, and understand what that local market looks like, what the competitive nature looks like across all of those different markets. Whereas with me, with Beth Israel Lakey Health, the health system I work at, We have a number of hospitals that are actually very close together geographically. And what we want to do is start to present it as a cohesive system that has multiple different places where people can actually access care. Our local SEO strategy is about optimizing that local hospital that's probably been in the community for many years and also infusing it with our larger health system brand. But again, it's a, it's around kind of shifting our SEO strategy slightly different depending on the organization you work for. I think it's important for us to talk about local SEO. And we found an article that's called Important Local SEO for 2022. 
Yeah, and they're talking here about the fact that local SEO is part it's only part of the search engine optimization process, but it's really being used to attract local customers and for them to find you quickly. You know, how are you serving up this information to people that are uh, in close proximity? They live, you know, in, in that same geography, if you will. I, I think the intention here, when you use the term local SEO, right, the quantifier, what you're talking about is that a lot of interactions with businesses still happen at that local level. So in your case, your hospitals have a unique name that it has a very much a local presence. So your local SEO strategies are about down, you know, um, focusing on that. Whereas, you know, in the use case that I described for our health system, it's a little bit of a combination of both, right? Because we're trying to show breadth as well as, you know, locality, so to speak. You take somebody like a, a Cedar sinai or Mayo or Cleveland Clinic or Hopkins or you know, somebody like that, they're obviously bringing people from all over the world in for care. You know, So the, the idea of their search is a little bit different, right? Which no one, no one I say no one, people are not going to travel from a different state to like one, one of my facilities. Uh, it's different. It's just a different a consumer, basically. When we start to think about local SEO, there are some trends, I guess. They call it trends, but I guess things that you want to keep in mind here to help you be successful with your strategy. So let's let's talk through a couple of those, Reed. The first one is about online reputation. So we know all about how online reputation is so important. Those reviews, client testimonials, those sorts mm-hmm. of things. But they're really important to search engines, too. Because Google and other search engines rank by the number of online mentions and reviews. That kind of influences where you appear in the search results. They actually indicate it's not only Google reviews, but other popular platforms like Facebook and Yelp also contribute to local SEO reputation of your site. In order to really maximize on local SEO, one of the number one things this article points out is that you should focus on using it for better online reputation. So next one here uh, on the list of trends is the emphasis on content or maybe even just text, depending on how you look at it. They call out that Orbit Media conducted a study on blog posts. This was an interesting one for me because we've long talked about, you know, these short, you know, kind of consumable blogs. And and I knew the best practice had been in recent years that that had lengthened out. Didn't realize they'd quite lengthened out this much, but um, they found that the average word count of a successful blog post has 1,142 words. Whoa. 1,142. So the trend, obviously, is still around consistency, but now we're starting to see this you know, stretch out, lengthen out, right? Like we used to talk about like just, you know, 250 words, 400 words, you know, it's plenty. You know, this is three, four times that. Right. That's crazy to think about that. 1,142 words of blog post. Wow. I bet you if you're listening in and you're in charge of your content team, that suddenly gave you a little bit of a chill to realize that, right? Yes. (laughs) Again, this is one of many things. So let's keep this all in perspective here. The third trend they focus in on is understanding search intent. They actually outline four different ways that people search. There is informational intent where people have a specific question about a topic or a service or whatever, and they just want to know more. So they're kind of like information seeking. Mm-hmm. Another is navigational intent where people are doing it to visit 
like a website, or I've even seen some people type into Google, google.com, because they're trying to get to Google, right? So that happens with navigational intent searches. There's transactional intent searches as people are looking to buy a particular product. And you better believe Google has been doubling down on that a lot lately. And then lastly is uh, what they call commercial investigation, where people are researching about a product because they want to buy it in the future. So they're kind of investigating all the different options that are out there. And maybe this is where you come across like websites of the best flat screen TVs for 2022, that sort of thing. Understanding search intent is also a big part of local SEO. So we're talking about longer content. We're talking about ratings and reviews. uh, And then you've got this intent piece, not to be overshadowed by the Google My Business component. We talk about uh, listings, listing management. You know, this is still the number one, you know, not Yelp and some of these other places. But uh, it talks in here about that at present, Google is not showing results based on keywords. Instead, they have shifted their focus to the consumer's search intent and want to know what a consumer is looking for. So research shows that Google My Business listings have a 49% of the local businesses that have more than a thousand views every month. Wow. Again, they want they want you I mean, nobody's gonna say, I don't think you're gonna get anybody to say what they prioritize or how the algorithm works, obviously, but you know, it's like we've always said, you know, all of these platforms, I don't care what platform you're talking about, Facebook or otherwise, they like their own stuff. Um, so I don't think it's any shocking, you know, metric that, you know, Google My Business listings do well. And most of us have that as part of our strategy now is to claim the Google listings. Okay, Reed, why don't we do this? We'll take a brief pause. We'll come back after the break. We'll kind of round out these other trends here. And then we're going to dive into the myth of zero-click searches. We'll do that right after we take a brief pause. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Madsen of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. Before the break, we were talking about local SEO and kind of the importance to health systems, how to develop a good local SEO strategy. Now, there's a couple more things on the list the first one is the importance of video content. You know, a lot of people prefer to learn that way, right? So you could imagine that, you know, and they talk about a couple of different studies in here that Google and others are prioritizing that type of content search results, right? And the other one is the mobile optimization of a website. And we've lost this talked about not mobile responsive, but mobile first. And so I won't kind of rehash all of that. But, you know, Google in recent years has looked at the fact, you know, how, how your site performs on mobile devices because they understand the importance there and the experience that people expect to have there. So, again, optimization of the website for the mobile environment as well as video content. Doubling down on that whole concept of user experience, that's really one of the big things that Google is trying to do, which is one of these other trends about user experience. If you're trying to optimize your site, you got to understand the experience. And so Google has four... Uh, things that dramatically influence a website's ranking, uh, time to load your page, 
how people are navigating through your site and performance of the website, both on desktop and mobile, even though mobile is more preferred. Those are very important things. How people start to experience your site is, is like a huge, huge player here for Google. And then lastly, you know, the way people are, are kind of shifting their searches, voice search is preferred. A study by Bright Local shows that 75% of users are using smartphones to do local business searches. And I was just reading an article today that voice search is connecting really closely to care. People are now looking at how do you optimize a voice search about I'm trying to find a doctor to connect it to your local hospital system. But this all kind of leads up to this whole concept of zero-click search. So let's revisit that again, Reed. They're talking about the optimization, certainly, of this. And really what that means is, you know, back to the aforementioned Google My Business profile, if you will. The idea is a lot of people are just looking for basic information. They're not ever actually looking to click, right? They're not looking to come to your website necessarily. They're just looking for maybe it's a rating and some reviews, it's some Q&A, it's a phone number or an address or or something like that, right? So they're talking here, obviously, about making sure that all that information is up to date. But, you know, even through the pandemic, now this would require a click, but even through the pandemic, you know, we've added and seen things add or on links to visitor policies or COVID or screenings or testing or, you know, that that kind of thing. You know, they've, they've added additional fields. Uh, but we've seen stuff with some of our organizations in the industry like the Mayo Clinic, uh, you know, having some partnerships with Google where there's some definitional content that shows up over there. You know, the best thing you can do that they talk about here, obviously, is is to, you know, maximize what's available to you in that Google My Business account. Yeah, absolutely. Now, that's not to say that your website doesn't matter. And they even underscore that by saying an increasing trend in zero-click search results does not mean that the importance of websites is diminished. On, on the contrary, they say, websites are a great way of gaining customers' trust. They refer back to a bright local study that, first of all, tracked when customers locate your business on the search results, they then tend to go to your website very quickly to find vital information regarding your business. Um, and in fact, <laughs> this is an interesting set that kind of blew me away. Not for the reason they probably wanted it to, but they say here that 50% of consumers avoid businesses that do not have a website. Yeah, I can see that. Well, yeah, but what blew me away is like, what business nowadays doesn't have a website, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right. It, it's funny. I, I have happened across a few lately, and they've been like a local restaurant or something like that, right? Where it, they're relying on like Yelp, you know, for the menu and reservation component. That's the website URL. You know, it's like it's taking you to Yelp. So it's kind of interesting uh, or maybe like a car detailing service or something like that that is maybe a little bit of a service or something that I, I don't know. It's funny. I still happen across folks that don't have a website. For those that don't, I guess zero click search is not that big of a deal. Or maybe it's the biggest deal. Could be like the only deal. The only deal know. for them, right? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But let's turn our attention to this, this myth of zero-click searches. We found an article on Search Engine Journal that's actually called SEO Professionals Stop Sharing Debunked Zero-Click Search Statistics. It's published late last year. And it actually starts off by referring back to a blog post that Rand Fishkin, who's the CEO of SparkToro, the founder of Moz, wrote in 2019 where he said less than half of Google searches now result in a click. It quotes an earlier study that showed almost 6% of Google clicks went to a Google-owned property. 
So most people get caught up on the 50% uh, resulted in zero clicks part. I, I think this is interesting, right? Because, and we could probably camp out here for a while, less than half result in a click. Hmm. Um, I don't know if I really find that surprising or not. Well, I wouldn't find it surprising either. It's been quoted everywhere. That less than half statistic got quoted, I think this article refers to it, like 400,000 times online. And then in March of 2021, so last year, about a year ago, the same guy, Fishkin, updated a study, and now he claims that from January to December of 2020, 64.82% of searches on Google ended in the search results without clicking through to a web that's, property. So it went that's up. That's a very, very specific number, yeah. 64.82%. <laughs> But it talks in here about that there's only one problem, is that uh, the fact that the math doesn't exactly add up. The problem, they say, is there's a number of blind spots, so you know details of the data that we can't see. So there are blind spots in the slice of the pie that represents the so-called zero clicks occurring or not occurring on Google. So according to this 2019 study, the zero-click searches include searches that end because a user was frustrated and couldn't find an answer. I guess that means they kind of scrolled down the page and realized that like whatever they Googled wasn't answering their question or they weren't going to get to their answer, which has happened to me before. Searches that are answered by the results, so the knowledge graph or or featured snippets like we talked about earlier, Uh, again, or if you're just looking for the definition of a word, that's not very hard. You know, you can see that. Obviously, that's a featured snippet or something like that. A few other ones, though, right? Yeah, like something interrupted the searcher while they were searching that caused them to stop searching that you can't tell that in the data. And the other thing is, is a click or an action that takes a searcher out of the browser entirely. For example, you know, maybe you click on a mm-hmm. phone and suddenly your search engine closes and another app on your phone opens, so to speak. Well, right? and this is talked about earlier, talking about the restaurants, right? Like it flips over to the Yelp app. Right. Or uh, they talk in here, you know, some easy ones are obviously the click to call or the, you know, the map or driving direction type things. And so it talks about in here additionally that it should be noted that zero, that the zero click definition does not include clicks to Google owned sites. I mean, you are clicking, right? So it's a little bit of a semantics a little bit, right? Also talks in here about voice searches that show a a screen of results as part of the analysis of searches that are answered by devices audio. So like, you know, Alexa, Siri, Google Assistant, sorry, everybody at home, uh, et cetera. Um, (laughs) The hard part about that is, is the data is kind of unclear here, right? We know that a fair number of clicks do not go directly to that website. Right. Okay. So we know that, Mm -hmm. but what happens to them is really the big question here. They say, according to a 2017 study by Moz, links in the knowledge graph get about 0.5% of clicks. Of course, they are counted as organic clicks on the site. And there's some other things too, click to call searches. There was another study that showed 70% of mobile searchers click to a call a business directly from Google search results. But all of these things kind of added together can attribute to the fact that this whole concept of 50% or now 64.82% of searches being zero-click searches, it doesn't really mean that Google's taking up all of that real estate. How do they sum it up, Reed? Google is not, quote-unquote, keeping the clicks for themselves, unquote. 
So since the numbers represented elsewhere, the click simply never existed in the first place. Maybe I'm just slow keeping up with this or something, but that's kind of how I always thought. I never thought about zero clicks being that Google was keeping it. Like I just thought people were finding the information or like we said earlier, not finding the information without having to leave the search result page. So again, it's not that Google is trying to keep it all necessarily. I think it's a a subtle difference there. They they actually call them never clickers. (laughs) They say never clickers could be up to 50% of those searchers. So they're not zero clickers. They may be just never clickers, so to speak. So does zero click search Is that impacting the way you do your SEO practices? For sure it does. But I mean, is it, are you just going after those people that are never going to click anyway? And that's when it kind of boils back to, right? What can we do? Do we have to worry about this? I think it still is something to be considering, but I don't think it's something we need to overtly worry about because these people may not have wanted to come to our site anyway. That's right. I mean, I think, again, you go back to kind of some of those best practices and, you know, first and foremost is the kind of that directory listing strategy where, you know, you make sure you have control of all the information of brick and mortar and people that that's out there. And you make sure that you optimize those profiles, those Google My Business profiles. And I think that gets you most of the way there, quite honestly. And the people that, you know, are going to click through because they are trying to get to scheduling and things like uh, when we have the the COVID link and the visitor policy and paying their bill and you know some of those things that you can't do natively inside the search result page, at least not yet. I'm sure you'll be able to in the future, but you know I think that's kind of where it leaves us a little bit. Sure does. I mean, and that really doubles down on the fact that our SEO strategies have to really become greater enhanced in this day and age. And that leads naturally to the interview that I had. I recently sat down with Martha Van Berkel, who is a friend of the show. She's been on before. She is the owner of Schema App, uh, if you recall. And she and I actually had a chance to sit down and talk a little bit about how she is working with health organizations to address the zero click. And she even said that zero click is a bit of a myth. And she's going to share some work that she's done that actually kind of fly in the face of zero click and where she actually increased clicks from search engines for hospitals. And we're going to go to that interview right after this break. And then you and I will be back to close out the show. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Welcome back to the Ask the Expert segment of the podcast. And today we have back on the show one person I always like talking to quite regularly, and that's my good friend, Martha Van Berkel. Martha, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be back. I'm super excited you're back too. Every time I talk to you, I just get so excited and get so energetic and I immediately after our conversations, just hop on the computer and start wanting to do things. That must be a good sign, right? A lot of good energy here. Martha, I know you've been on the show before, but there are some people listening in that may not know about you. Do you mind just doing sharing a little bit about yourself and the company you're with? 
Sure. I am the CEO and co-founder of Schema App. And Schema App specializes in the really niche area of search called structured data. And we work with companies primarily in North America, a lot of healthcare, healthcare insurance, um, but mid to large enterprises to adopt this niche area of search and really drive results um, and measurable results. So uh, that's what I do. Very interesting. And actually, you know, your world kind of intersects two of my passions. Uh, one of my passions is around structure and order. It must come from my German background. Yeah. Uh, the other is about like larger digital systems, right, to support your organization. Bringing those together, this this is like a happy medium. I think that's one of the reasons why our conversations are so energized. We recently had you on to talk about the physician profile and schema and, and, and all of those things and how that all relates together. What I think might be good for us to start today conversation with is this. The way consumers are using search nowadays has shifted. Just like with everything else along the whole pandemic, things are shifting over and over and over again. And here we are getting into 2022. And I think a lot of people like myself that are sitting in hospitals and health systems are wondering, how is the consumer kind of shifting to search for care? Yeah, so I've seen a couple like big changes. And and this is like interesting because, you know, as a software company, we call this pivoting, right? You have to keep changing as like your consumer is changing. But what we've seen a lot in the data is like what consumers are looking for is changing very abruptly. And so that comes with like as news changes or as like the environment or the city rules or different tests or different, you know, as the topical things come up and they're being very, very specific in their searches. Um, and so specificity is like one of those things I always like to talk about because it's no longer, you know, like I'm going to look up, I always use an e-commerce example, but like, I'm never going to look up women's clothing, right? I'm looking for a turquoise shirt, <laughs> right? In size medium that I can buy in Canada, right? So, so that, that same sort of search, I'll say, kind of continues to narrow and also change very quickly. So those are two of the things that we're seeing just based on like how behaviors are doing it. I think the other one is, you know, who used to be our, our savvy digital, you know, user has broadened, right? You know, my mother who's in her seventies now knows how to order groceries online and like book an appointment online and search for anything online um, as a result of the pandemic. And so I think, you know, their expectations, everyone's expectations. So not just sort of perhaps like, you know, that that middle age, but now that much broader age category is looking to be wowed with that online experience. Let's break that down uh, a little bit here. There's two major themes that you said here. They're getting more specific. That is something that is not new to search engines. I remember, you know, talking about this like five, six years ago, that the average length of a search term is like five or six words or something like that because of the specificity involved. I think that we could contribute that to the fact that there's just so much information out there online now, right? People are tired of doing three word searches and then like having to reframe them and reframe them again. I think people are starting first with that little very depth of a search. But this other concept of like now we have more digital savvy searchers, so to speak. Are you kind of implying that people using search engines now are becoming, I don't know, more adept at uh, at how they search? I don't think adept so much as like, it's just a broader audience and like all of our patience is just slow, right? Like, you know, like I said, where, where I used to, you know, where 
know, my mother's not going to spend time looking through and trying to book that appointment, right? She just wants to get it done or she's going to pick up the phone. Or, you know, like there's other elements where like, I just expect to find every answer I'm looking for in my first search, right? Like I'm not, I'm not expecting to have to comb through things and do research. So I would say like, just the, the digital um, expectations are higher. Maybe that's a better way of saying it. But I do like also the fact that you said, right, that digital patience is getting low too, right? I think we are all there where we want things much more immediate. So that's not lost on me. Well, and that, can, and that can also just be burnout, right? Like for those of us that spend all day on a computer, like the last thing I want to do is then like have to work through how to figure something out. And so it just means that like we have to think about you know, the beginning of the experience, which is where structured data influences, like how you show up and stand out and search, like we have to think about wowing them right from that get go. And then like everything from, you know, your site taxonomy, the site content, you know, how you're sort of making it really easy for you to your, your customers to complete the task, right, whatever that is, booking an appointment, finding your physician, looking for a specialist, getting the address for the hospital or healthcare location you want to go, like all those things just have to be easy wowing them with that initial experience they have with you. We know that that kind of really intersects closely with how you use schema and how you start to structure your your data so it appears on the search engines. How are you seeing that evolving here in, in our space around schema and structured data? Last time we talked, we talked specifically about physicians and how, you know, with physicians, there's a way that you can both architect your content, right, to have ratings, um, but then you can also use FAQs. And we've done been, you know, working with our clients to do this. And we're we're seeing some different behaviors that we would expect. And and meaning that like sometimes with an FAQ, so think of this as like where you're adding additional information in that initial result, people won't click through to the site because they get their answer there. But what we're finding that when you use this physicians where you're basically providing input on that physician's expertise, and answering some of those like initial questions of like, do they treat this? Do they provide service at this location? That we're actually seeing more people click through. So the click through rate on these physician results that are both have a rating and an FAQ are actually say, you know, I'll say slightly higher than like all general results, but like way over 5%, which is very far away from 0%. Like a 5% click through rate's great. So we're seeing that like, again, when you're bringing, you're making it easy, right? That trend of like, tell me the information I need. I'm trying to pick a doctor. I'm obviously already stressed out because I'm looking for a doctor. You know, this additional information you can provide in FAQ is delighting or wowing them enough that they're clicking through more often than when it's, it, it isn't there. You know, it's kind of counterintuitive, right? We were talking about this a couple of years ago about how as Google brings more and more data into their knowledge graph, that it's going to result in zero click searches. And I remember that was like the, the bane of our existence. But what you're saying here is the more information in that knowledge graph, it could actually result in more click-throughs to your site. Is, is that right? Well, I think it has to be like, what is the intent, right? And this kind of goes to back to who your consumer is, right? Like, how are you trying to delight them or make an informed choice about something? And so, you know, in this physician example, you know, we're saying like, these are their specialties. This is their credentials. This is like where they service out of, which isn't, which is informing the decision to click versus answering the question. And and then the other piece, if you're smart, and this is sort of where that end-to-end customer experience comes in is that you can put the links to where you want to take them next. 
So if you have a, a page that speaks specifically to the services you offer, like in a specific area of health, and this person has specializations there, like you can lead them to that page if that's your desired intent of where to take them in the journey on your website. And so you can be very thoughtful about sort of like, what is that decision journey of that consumer? Or, you know, what is their health journey? And where do you need to lead them in your vast array of complex data and websites, you know, as they start with a Google search? You know, as you're describing this, it's making me think about your approach towards your your content, structured content and schema strategy. It's almost like you're aligning that to their actual journey, right? Because you talk about what's their intent, right? And and this is really where I I get really excited because this is appeals to that system part of me, right? You're you're talking about a system here because we've been spending all of our time thinking about customer journeys, et cetera. Now you're actually saying is you need to bring that thinking then into the specifics around things like schema. So how have you seen that happen? How does that work? Right. So if you're thinking about, and, and tell me, Chris, if this is how you do it, right? Like, so you usually get to know that, like, we need this type of content to answer this question that fits in the taxonomy in this place, right? So you sort of have like the page design to understand where it fits in. So when you get to that point, we then want to also ask the question of like, that's great. We know how it fits into our website structure and taxonomy. How do we want that to also show up in Google? And what are the elements that we need to design into this page and into the content to make sure that we're get the, getting the intended start of their journey in the Google search? And so our best clients like take that knowledge and then any type of page. So let's say it's your um, well, physician page is the example I've been using. It's like, great. We want not just like the consumer to know that it's got this amazing rating. We want it also to know like these really important things because we know these are factors in them deciding to book an appointment with that physician. And therefore we're going to not just write it beautifully in the copy and how we want it to appear on the page. We're also going to put it in an FAQ module at the bottom, which allows us then to optimize it for Google so that that experience starts in search. And so it, it basically is just like, think of it as like when you're designing content and pages, at scale in in a like architecture, right? That you're also asking that question of like, exactly how do we want this stand out? And we call these rich results, right? So you basically want to design your page setup or architectures to also be achieving a rich result. And if you plan on that and then execute it on at scale, we've seen amazing, amazing, amazing results. Is there a way to do this? Because it sounds a little daunting um, when you're thinking about scaling it at such a grand level. The way you described it, though, sounds like there's these little, I I don't know, little models that you can develop to say, like, when you're searching for care, this is the typical schema model. Is that how you you work with uh, healthcare clients? Exactly. So it's actually, that's like our whole sales process is consultative where we actually <laughs> like say, well, we ask the question of like, what, what types of pages on your site are important for your, your consumers to find or your customers to find? And, and then we basically, you know, you'll, you'll basically talk through like, okay, well, these are the, the very specific pages, right? I don't want those general pages like, and, and they're in groups, right? You know, like, okay, we have our physician pages. We have, let's say our blog that we're trying to drive people to. We have specific Um, care pages, we have our location pages, and then we'll actually go through each of those and look at the content that's there. And if we don't think that the content's there, that's going to allow us to get a rich result today, we'll suggest one. 
And part of this is like, you know, this is what we're seeing working and then, but it's a choice, right? So Google has them documented. And so we love FAQ because you can pretty much put FAQ on anything, but like if there's a rating on something, then that's a really great one. Um, if there's a video on a page, that's another great one. Um, if you're trying to describe a how to, to do something, that's a great one. Um, so there's lots of different ones that you can use. And then again, our expertise in like, is how do you, how do you use that to really have your, your information shine while still like it's your information and, and how you set up those pages have an intention. So we're not looking to change that. We're looking to literally just enhance it. Um, and Google has required and recommended properties. Think of these as like content fields. So, you know, those need to be included. And so often like this is a journey, right? So like we work with some clients, like when they're designing a website, but the majority of them like have something live. And then we're like, this is what you can start with. And then this is where, like we want to evolve to, and we know that that takes time. It sounds though like, like you, these are some starters in which we can just implement into your current environment, right? And see how they gain traction, and then from there scale and grow. Obviously, you're speaking from experience. So, what have you seen? So, the physicians are one that I just think is like you know, if you're going to start anywhere and you're you know, your your hospital, like start there. Um, one, one because like I love it when our um, health networks start beating health grades and some of those other sort of like, because like they, they should get that traffic. Right. So, um, so that's a great one. Like if you have ratings, that's a great start. If you can add FAQ or if you just have like good structured content, like specialties, locations, like that can often be used in healthcare. And one thing that's kind of interesting with Google is like physicians are treated a little bit differently than I'll say like they're actually physicians in, in the vocabulary of schema or a lo like a location, like they're actually like a local business and you're like, yeah, it's great to debate that. And so like often like a local business doesn't get a rating anymore, but physicians do. So there's like rules that like are different for physicians, which is awesome, right? It means like capitalize on them. Um, FAQ is another one. The fact that you can get a rating and an FAQ, like you literally start taking up a third of the page. So like for me, that's like no brainer start there. Um, and then I also really love looking at um, like service pages. Like if there's specific areas that like are really important for growing the business or like specialty areas or, or high revenue areas within the hospital networks. Um, you know, how do you look at those? And, and with structured data, like I'm talking about rich result hunting because I like to measure it so that you can show ROI. And then if you're paying me, then I can make sure I can articulate like why you're paying me that much. But, but like you also are trying to explain what the thing's about. So all that hard work you're doing around taxonomy and being specific, using the language of your consumers, like that also plays in. So, you know, is this a service? Is it a medical procedure? All those are very specific in how they're described. And then we want to make sure we're also sort of like setting you up to get that beautiful rich result in, in search. Um, so we've seen FAQ work really, really well. Um, FAQ, like I said, is, are getting higher click-through rates. And I checked across a couple of our, our healthcare um, clients and we're, I'm seeing that pretty consistently. And so this means that like people want those answers and they're still driving clicks. So we're seeing the opposite of like the zero click-through rate concern that we had with FAQs. Um, I'm also seeing videos perform very well. So videos is an area that like, there's been so much going on in the area of structured data over the last, like, I'll say like two years, but as of like September, it's been a bit quieter. And this year, um, Google highlighted video as like one of their key areas that they wanted to see more structured data in. And you might be seeing this, Chris, like, you know, the video moments that you can sometimes see. 
So Google, like if basically if you put schema markup on it, you can tell Google to identify those moments for you. And it's great because like if you have moment, if you have longer videos or if you're like trying to make sure that those really stand out in search, like that's a great way to do that. So we're seeing videos. We're also seeing blog postings from healthcare organizations also do very, very well. Blogs are also fun because you can nest a video or have FAQs in them and do other kind of fun things. Um, and then I've also seen products do well. Um, that was more in like the health insurance side, but I do know some hospital networks offer products as part of like an e-commerce arm. Um, and then if um, courses are another really interesting areas around education or events. So if you're doing educational events or as like events evolve to be virtual, or I know often healthcare networks would do um like events with a clinician or events where it's like educational about a piece um, events are another kind of key area that, that you can really stand out and get more clicks. Uh, of the things that you listed here, right? So videos, which a lot of us have those assets available. We're just not leveraging them the right way. Really curious about like the events. Cause I think that uh, many of us have marketing campaigns that we, we have kind of set up to drive people to like maybe even an online event webinar or something prior to even like maybe, you know, as, as like sort of a criteria to determine if you're interested in this larger service, Google is put now an emphasis on these things to bring them forward. And then you mentioned blog posts, the mashup of a good content strategy and a good schema strategy is hitting full stride. And Google knows this. Why, why are these things are starting to get more traction this year? Well, the events and videos I'd say this year, like Google's, I think Google is also trying to get you to like make their information easier to consume. So I think it's a little bit about like what's helping Google do their job. Um, so the videos I see very much like they're asking you to say, where does the video live? Do you want us to use our natural language processing so that we can get more people visible to it? Again, Google's driven by ad spend, right? So I always kind of think about like, why are they motivated? I think the events came up as something that we're seeing more and more because so many events moved to virtual. And so, and so like they, they actually had to update the schema vocabulary to, you know, include a virtual location and where do you register and what's the date and time and does it repeat, et cetera. Um, and so I think that was, you know, just at the very beginning, we talked about like, what's changing, right? How are we having to pivot and change and grow? You know, Google's had to do the same as those consumers behavior has changed. So I think, you know, videos is just one of those ones um, and events that sort of play with a little bit of both their direction and needs, as well as sort of where the market's gone. Where the consumers are going, the changes in that, in that behavior. You know, it's not also lost on me that all of these things are not just like initial touch points into an organization. I, I'm always a firm believer that, you know, Google is the number one refers to your website because they make it so easy. But that means that consumers are now using this throughout their entire care journey, not only to like discover a doctor, but then, you know, like a follow up of care or what have you. Are you seeing that also start to evolve over the entire? you know, customer journey, so to speak? I think so. I think that care journey, like it makes me think of, you know, like all of a sudden I've, I've just, I've just found out I'm sick and now I need to go explore a whole new area within my care. Right. Like that's, and you know, whether, the, whether that be driven by the pandemic or whether that be just, you know, life events or other things. Right. So, you know, I, I grew up at Cisco. I spent 14 years at Cisco, the big tech company and was in services and, you know, any interaction is an opportunity to delight or wow them. And so while I think about this as that initial piece, you're right, it's actually all the way through. And so no matter what you're looking for, you know, I'm looking to become more educated on this. I'm looking to find out more about, 
and how do I pay my bills, right? Like I, I, I love the service aspect of structured data because, you know, like one of the ones that we, we were other tech companies too, but you know, like you think of questions and answers, right? You know, so all the technical support that people call your administrators for or different pieces, like what if they could just get the answer in search? Like how would that experience be for them? Um, so I think you have to think about, again, you know, what are people calling for? What are people asking? What are the specific questions they're asking, right? And make sure that you're you're providing service there. And, and I think if you're doing those things, right, like you're going to see it in the numbers. And I think that's the part that I love um, is that like it's measurable. And so, you know, if, if your role is to, you know, delight customers, right, which you're going to see through, you know, however you do your customer surveys, you're also going to see it in your in your digital metrics, right? People are going to spend more time on the site. You're going to have more unique visitors. You're going to have more repeat visitors. Um, you're going to get more clicks out of search. And, and wowing, you know, getting a wowing experience, that's going to make someone want to keep coming back um, and, and, and also build that trusting relationship. Um, that that I know you want in your in your care journey. You know, I think about as we t- we talk about this, right? I, I I spend a lot of my time thinking about usability, utility, usefulness of you know our our digital channels because those are really what contribute to that overall wow factor. Utility meaning giving you the things that you want, that you need in order to meet that task, right? If you're looking for an educational session from this doctor, well, here it is right here, right? And usability is the easiness and the, the pleasant nature of being able to do that. And those two together really become what what you know we call usefulness. I mean, this is this reinforcing that schema is a main tool of usability and utility across your digital expressions, right? And I love it because you control it, right? Like, it's not like something that you're like, I really hope, you know, like it makes you eligible is what Google says. But like, if you do it and do it well, like you will see results and you will see an enhanced experience. And so I love it that it's something that, you know, in search engine optimization area, there's so many things that you do, but you're like, I can't really measure that. I'm not really sure how to show the ROI or paint the story. Like the first thing we do for our clients is we are like, this is the visuals of how your search experience has changed. And we love it because whether you're an analyst or you're a doctor or you're, you know, a digital marketing leader or the CEO or CMO, like you can see that and experience it. It's very tangible. So I love that because in this world where we can't control a lot of things, it's something that you can control, show results for and wow people, right? Which is, which is just going to fill their heart. Martha, this has been a really exciting, interesting conversation, I have to say. I really, I, again, as always, you always um, make me really energized and, and I'm eager to like start diving in and, and doing all these things. That sentiment is, is felt by a number of other people listening in today. People are that are listening in, how can they reach out to you online? What are some ways they can connect with you? Sure. So if you want to learn more about what we do in areas of structured data, like check out our website, which is www.schemaapp.com. Um, we also publish a lot of content and we're pushing that primarily to uh, schema app on LinkedIn. Um, so you can check that out, follow there, and then you're going to you know, know the latest, see sort of when we're hosting webinars, kind of doing educational pieces. And then if you really want to have a conversation, reach out to me directly on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm happy to have a conversation. 
Well, we're going to link to all that on the show notes. And I can absolutely say, yeah, definitely um, check out your LinkedIn content because there's quite a bit of stuff out there and videos and and interesting things that are happening, uh, even events and and things that you're speaking at. So definitely uh, check that all out in our show notes. Martha, thanks again for joining us today. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Chris. It's always a pleasure. This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Special thanks to Martha for coming on the show. Appreciate her. Uh, is this now her second time maybe with us? Third time, actually. Third, Third time. time with us. Yeah. 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 Appreciate her uh, continuing to come back. Even after she's been here, she still is back, which is great. And appreciate her time. We mentioned earlier the TPS report. You can sign up for it over at touchpoint.health. Uh, certainly five articles to start your week. Uh, there are uh, a couple of links down at the bottom of that email that reference upcoming conferences. Uh, all that's meant to do is to keep that front and center each week and give you an opportunity to go sign up. And hopefully we get to see each other in person at some point this year. I know Chris and I'll talk more about it a little closer to time, but you know we plan to plan to be and participate and speak and train and teach and all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, hopefully kind of like we did in pre-pandemic times, uh, but we'll talk uh, again more about that as, as some of these conferences get closer, but you can sign up for that over at touchpoint.health. All right. Recommendations. What do you got today? Reed, um, I'm going to recommend Instagram account that I started following a couple months ago. I don't know about you, but I use Instagram in multiple different ways. I actually t- tend to find different types of topics or themes that I, you know, I'm interested in. And I start to follow Mm -hmm. people on those accounts. Obviously, I have a fair number of uh, bread baking Instagram accounts that I follow, which has recipes, tricks, all that other stuff. That's not what I'm recommending today. I'm recommending a different Instagram account called 66 Kicks Photography. Okay. They're based in Amsterdam. (laughs) However, it's a whole account dedicated to Route 66 and the road signs that are found in on Route 66 locations, so to speak. Nice. It's kind of an, an homage to you know what they call the U.S. Neon de- Desert Highways. They routinely drive Route 66, even though they're from Amsterdam. They come to America and drive Route 66 and take photographs of various different road signs that have a, a much and, and you know it feels really antiquated, a kind of older neon signs, etc. It's really a, a, a beautiful site. And that some of the, you know, road signs that they posted, like from Rio Vista, California, the Flamingo, which is a like a, a, a motel that has a big flamingo on the outside. And one of the big things on top of this neon sign is a martini glass, for example. Of course mm-hmm. it's old, it's routed, you know, it's kind of old, it's it's antiquated now, so it looks kind of quaint, etc. And small little ice cream shops, Max Drive-In, which has a neon cone of ice cream on top of it. The site is just so pretty and I it shows up in my newsfeed every so often. They post pretty regularly, like once a day. 
day, at least, if not a couple of times. And in their Instagram account, they actually link through to an article on vice.com called the meet the self-described sign geeks keeping neon alive. And it's all about them and some of their, their, their most famous photographs that they've done. You know, keep in mind, they've been doing this for quite a while. So um, if you're on Instagram and you want to find a kind of a cool little site that gives you a little bit of a unique kind of look and feel, um, you know, just a little smile on your face if you come across it, I strongly recommend following 66 Kicks on Instagram. That's my recommendation. Nice, nice. I like that. I am actually going to recommend an app. I believe it's probably in the uh, Android side of the equation, but uh, obviously I use it for Apple, but it's called Alias. And uh, anybody that's bought uh, stuff on like StockX or Goat, uh, as far as like sneakers or apparel, things like that, Alias is what you use to actually sell. So Goat actually allows you to buy uh, used apparel uh, and shoes as well. So Alias is the complimentary app or the companion app to Goat that allows you to sell stuff on Goat not just buy stuff. So I downloaded this because uh, my son has outgrown shoes. He's a big sneaker head and uh, we've started selling some of his shoes and it's, it's really, uh, well, number one, it's neat and it works because we've, we've now sold, I think three pairs of shoes in the last couple of weeks, but it's really well done. You know, so you enter the information in, it has all kinds of market data. It'll suggest how much you should sell it for based on the condition that they're in, that kind of thing, the size, you know, so it's almost like the stock market. And it tracks all this kind of stuff. It very specifically tells you how to take the pictures and you have to take certain pictures. You know, does it have the box? Does it not have the box? And you take all these pictures and you upload it, then it gets approved and posted. And when somebody buys it, you know, they become kind of the brokerage, you know, house or the, uh, the escrow company, if you will. So you print out the shipping label all through the app. Um, so you don't even have to, you don't have to do that. You just pay for it. I mean, the, the app just spits it all out. You don't pay for it up front print it out, take it, drop it off at the UPS store. And then once um, they get it and verify that they actually are what you said they are and that they look like the pictures that you took and, you know, that kind of thing, they release the money to you into your account. So then wow. you can you can then use that money to then buy more stuff on the GOAT app or for a small fee, you can actually deposit the money back into your bank account. So it's, uh, it's just a really well done app from a UI UX perspective. So if you got a few things to sell against sneakers or apparel, it's a great a great way to do that, but it's worth worth kind of doing it and, and seeing how the, how the app's built. So it's really cool. Interesting. Alias. Look at you. Mm -hmm. That's really cool. You're going to be like, you have this whole shadow economic system in your family right now. You guys are going to turn into like brokering sports paraphernalia, right? I wish I had to uh, find some more stuff to sell. <laughs> Very cool. Well, a uh, great episode. Good topic. I know this is always something that's top of mind and something that quite honestly, I mean, I don't know that it'll never go away, but I don't, I don't think it'll ever go away, at least not foreseeable future. Uh, search engine rankings and SEO and all that kind of stuff is, is going to be important for a long time. So this is a great topic to cover. I'm sure we'll come back to it uh, many more times in the months and years ahead on the mm -hmm. show so well very cool again quick plug for the website touchpoint.health uh, rate review subscribe also connect with chris and i on linkedin twitter all those kinds of fun places and uh, reach out to us we'd love to hear from you if there's some topic we should cover somebody we should interview we'd love to know it so for uh, chris boyer i'm reed smith and we'll see you next week
This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.